Well, I was thinking uh, two weeks ago, I taught on uh, Samson and uh, kind of a, a man's message, if you will. It was in preparation for the men's conference, and it is kind of, a, somebody said, a clutch message for men. And I thought before we dove back into uh, our study of the book of Philippians, it would be appropriate in honor of Mother's Day to maybe do a, a message that would be kind of a clutch message for women and uh, kind of balance that out a little bit. And so uh, this morning, I want to uh, look at a passage in the Old Testament that I trust will be a special encouragement to the ladies in, in our church. From the time uh, ladies are little girls, their hearts seem to be drawn to the story of Cinderella or Cinderella-like stories that involve a beautiful maiden being rescued from some cruel, tyrannical dictator or some evil, oppressive situation by a a handsome, charming prince. Uh, And they ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after while the antagonist, the the evil stepmothers and stepsisters of the world, uh, end up getting what they deserve. Well, unfortunately, not every relationship or situation in life has a fairy tale ending. And there are many unfortunate circumstances that don't always change. Justice is not always served. Every wrong is not always righted in this lifetime. Uh, Oftentimes, the bad situations in our lives stay the same. And the bad people in our lives get off scot-free. You may find yourself this morning in a very painful, difficult, and seemingly hopeless situation similar to the one Cinderella was in, wondering if she would ever escape, wondering if you'll ever escape. Well, if you are in a situation like that, you're not alone because there was a woman in the Bible who was faced with a very, very difficult situation. Her name is Abigail, and her story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn there. I would have to say that Abigail is probably my favorite female character in the Scriptures. And uh, as we'll see, this chapter... 1 Samuel 25 reads very much like a Cinderella story, but it's not just some Hollywood script or Disney movie. It's it's a real-life story that actually happened 3,000 years ago, and God preserved it here in the pages of his word to provide comfort and, and hope to anyone whose life situation resembles that of Abigail's. Now, before we look at this, this beautiful story and this beautiful woman, We need to be aware that this isn't really a story about Abigail as much as it's a story about David. Uh, The soon-to-be king of Israel is the main character of this story. And Abigail is really just the supporting actress. And so if we we need to understand the historical context here that we are landing in here in 1 Samuel 25. But 1 and 2 Samuel were written by Samuel as he was moved along by the Holy Spirit to record the transition of leadership between uh, the judges to uh, the kings uh, in the nation of Israel. And so Samuel was the last judge and the first great prophet of Israel, Israel, and God raised him up to anoint the first two kings of Israel. 
Um, as you know, the nation of Israel became a monarchy when the people chose Saul to be their king. They said, hey, we want a, we want a king like the rest of the nations. Um, and so they appointed Saul. And Samuel reluctantly anointed Saul at God's command, but it wasn't long before Saul sinned. And Samuel was given the unenviable task of telling him that God had rejected him as king. And he was then commissioned to appoint or anoint David uh, in his place. And so David, the young king-elect, served faithfully in Saul's court until he was forced to flee from Saul's insanely jealous attempts to kill him. And despite the, the clear indications that David was the rightful heir to the throne... Um, slaying Goliath with a slingshot was one of those uh, indications, um, not to mention Saul's own son, Jonathan, relinquished the right to the throne. Normally, it would have gone to the son, right? But he relinquished it to David. He saw that David was the, the heir apparent. And so David lived on the run like a fugitive, playing cat and mouse games with, with, with Saul and his men. And yet, this was, this was all part of God's plan for preparing David to be king. And during those, those long, hot days and, and cold, lonely nights hiding out in the wilderness, God was testing David and, and teaching him invaluable lessons that would serve him well in his future role as Israel's king and, and also as his role as, a, as the psalmist of Scripture. And so here in Psalm, uh, or excuse me, in First Samuel twenty-five, we see one of those God-ordained tests that David that David had to face. And and uh, as we know, David's predecessor Saul was an impatient man who had failed to trust God and uh, and wait upon Him. And and uh, his undoing uh, came in in uh, chapter thirteen. If you turn back there quickly, uh, when he was waiting for Samuel to come offer the burnt offerings at Gilgal as the priest, he, he, he got antsy and Samuel didn't come in, according to his timetable and, and so he rushed ahead of God and he assumed Samuel's role as priest and offered the burnt offerings at Gilgal, which was, which was a, a, a foolish, impetuous act of disobedience and because of that, God chose David to replace him. If you look at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 13, Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly, you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And so back in... 1 Samuel 25, we see David, very much like Saul, anointed by God to be king, but waiting to be publicly affirmed, publicly appointed by God to the throne. And here he was faced with a temptation to, to foolishly and impetuously rush ahead of God and assert himself as the king of Israel. Notice the scene Set in verse 1, 1 Samuel 25, verse 1. Then Samuel died, and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So this chapter begins by just setting the scene for the story. The curtain opens on a national funeral being held in honor of Samuel. 
And people had traveled from all over the country to pay their respects to Samuel and his family and to mourn beside him, uh, beside them at his, at his graveside. And uh, after Samuel's death, it says that Daniel arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. He went, he went deeper into the wilderness than he'd ever gone before to seek refuge from Saul. Why? Well, because without Samuel... There, now that he was out of the way, it was likely that Saul would increase his efforts to dispose of this young king, king elect who threatened his reign. And so David could no longer rely on Samuel's leadership for wise direction and, and counsel while he waited upon God during this extremely tense and I'm sure at times extremely frustrating transition from Saul to him. And what happened in this chapter was. I think God's way of testing David to see if he had a personal agenda like Saul did. To see if he would take matters into his own hands and, and fight his own battles rather than the Lord's battles. God wanted to teach his future king what John Piper describes in his book, Future Grace, as, quote, a deepening, ripening, peaceful willingness to wait for God in the unplanned place of obedience and to walk with God at the unplanned pace of obedience to wait in his place and go at his pace. By the way, that chapter in Future Grace, Future Grace Verses and Patience is worth the price of the book. And I would encourage you because we all tend to get impatient at times and try to rush ahead of the Lord in our lives. That would be a great chapter for you to read. And so God wanted to teach David to wait in his place and go at his pace. In other words, he needed to learn to wait upon the Lord, to do things in his way and in his time rather than seeking revenge or seizing power in his own way and in his own time. The other thing I think it's important to note here before we get into this story is that the events in this chapter are sandwiched between two chapters, chapter 24 and chapter 26. Both describe how David had a golden opportunity to kill Saul, but he refused to stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed. In chapter 24, we see how Saul was, again, pursuing David, and David and his men were hiding in a cave uh, and, and in Gedi, and uh, it just so happens that Saul decided to relieve himself in that very cave. And uh, while he was in there, his men said, David, the Lord has delivered him into your hands. Go kill him. Take his life. And instead, he chose to cut off the corner of his robe. And after he had relieved himself and left uh, and was walking back uh, down the hill, David came out of the cave and said, oh, Saul, did you, are you missing anything, right, kind of thing, and uh, said, hey, I, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Um, in chapter 26, uh, we see how David uh, came upon Saul sleeping in the wilderness of Ziph, and uh, it says that uh, he and his um, associate uh, Abishai went down, and there was Saul sleeping, and his spear was stuck in the ground right by his head. And again, Abishai is like, David, how easy is that? Take his own spear and stab it through his skull while he's sleeping. And David said, how dare you? We shouldn't touch 
the Lord's anointed. And so he said, take the spear and take his water jug and let's go. And they got up onto the hill and in the morning he yelled out to, to uh, Saul's uh, basically bodyguard and said, hey guys, what are you doing? This is the Lord's anointed and you're not taking good care of this guy. And he, he shamed them that they had, had let um, uh, their leader uh, be in harm's way. And so, interesting, so here we see David sparing Saul's life. Um, and yet, in chapter 25, we see him almost give in to his mounting impatience and frustration by slaying one of Saul's loyalists, a man named Nabal. And we're introduced to him uh, in verse 2. There was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now this man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And uh, again, while this narrative focuses on David's conflict with Nabal, Abigail's passing role in, in God's overarching plan for David steals the show. And the Spirit of God clearly places this amazing woman at the, at, at, at really on center stage and, and directs the spotlight on her in this chapter. And, uh, and rightly so, because Abigail exemplified most, if not all of the qualities of a godly woman explained or commanded or illustrated throughout the Bible. She was a, a suitable helpmate for her husband, Genesis 2.18. She was a, a faithful, humble woman of excellence like Ruth. Uh, she was a, a courageous woman of faith who God raised up for a strategic time, uh, at a, uh, for a strategic task at a strategic time, uh, just like Esther. She was a, a wise, hospitable, hardworking homemaker, very much like the Proverbs 31 woman we just read about. She was a submissive and respectful wife that we read about in Ephesians chapter 5. She was a, a godly woman of discretion who adorned herself with good works rather than costly clothes, 1 Timothy chapter 2. She was a, a reverent, sensible, pure, kind, word-honoring woman as described in Titus chapter 2. She was a, a woman whose beauty was more than just skin deep. She, she had a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God, who, 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 who really, as we're going to see, sought to win her husband over, her disobedient husband over by her behavior without being frightened by any fear, as Peter describes in 1 Peter chapter 3. Well, just that little grocery list of, of qualities hopefully whets your appetite to want to see this winsome woman in action. And uh, that word winsome, I like that word. It, it just means attractive. It, it, it means appealing in appearance or character. And so what we're going to see here in this chapter are nine qualities of a winsome woman. Nine qualities of a winsome woman. Now, Men, don't just check out and think, okay, this is a, a, a girly message. Um, this is for girls. Uh, I can just chill this morning and check out. No. Um, there's some don't be that guy in this chapter as well. Um, there's, there's Nabal and, and there's David, uh, both not acting um, appropriately uh, in this chapter. And so you can uh, stay engaged as well, guys, to see 
um, what you should avoid uh, as the women look at what they should seek to emulate, uh, we can look to see what we can avoid. The first quality of a winsome woman is that she's obedient and content. She's obedient and content. Again, notice verse 3. The man's name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail and the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings and he was a Calebite. Now, just, just reading that simple description, there's a huge contrast between this husband and wife. I mean, it would be hard to imagine a more unlikely couple than Nabal and Abigail. Nabal means fool. Now, it's doubtful that any parent would name their, their child fool. Um, this was probably a nickname that he had acquired over the years based on his bad reputation. I mean, he was a jerk. And, and, and so he acquired this, this, this name Nabal, fool. And so, so here you have this, this, this arrogant, obnoxious, pig-headed man, uh, a, a cruel, uh, tyrannical husband who treated his wife and, and, and most likely children harshly. Uh, he was a corrupt businessman who dealt ruthlessly with his employees and his customers. And, and he was unequally yoked to this godly gem of a woman. We just read in Proverbs 31, verse 10, who can find a wife, right? Um, uh, she's for, worth far more than jewels. And so here was this gem of a woman unequally yoked to this man you could liken to Belial, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, it says, what does Christ and Belial, fool, Satan, have in common? Well, the word Abigail, the name Abigail, means my father is joy. And as she's described here, she has both beauty and brains. Um, Paul Tripp, appropriately titled a sermon he preached on this passage, uh, Beauty and the Beast. And uh, I think that's a great description of what we see here. Now, you might be wondering, well, how in the world did these two get together? And this, is, this has got to be more than just an extreme case of opposites attract here. Well, based on the custom of that day, this was most likely an arranged marriage. And it could have been that Abigail's father overlooked Nabal's obvious faults in light of the, the incredible means that he had to take care of his daughter. And so she may have been forced to marry this guy against her will, but she had no choice to, but to obey her parents' wishes. Um, however it happened, this... This was a major mismatch. A worthless man married to a woman of great worth. I think if anyone could have claimed irreconcilable differences as grounds for divorce, it was Abigail. And yet she remained faithful and obedient to her husband. We we have no indication whatsoever in this text that she wanted out of that marriage or that she was looking for some way to divorce him and just, just kind of at her wit's end. I can't, I can't take it. Uh, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I'm done. It's over. And no doubt, living with Nabal must have been a daily hardship, as it is for any woman who's married to a, a man who only thinks of himself and, and completely disregards God and others. Abigail suffered the humiliation of having to follow her husband around, 
cleaning up his messes and mending his uh, burned bridges and, and seeking forgiveness from those he offended. And yet by God's all-sufficient grace, she remained content in the midst of her difficult marriage. In fact, I think it was her marriage to a difficult man that was God's custom-designed tool that he used to hone her and to shape her into this winsome woman that we see her to be in this passage. And so I would encourage any of you ladies who find yourself in a similar situation, rather than praying for relief or praying for rescue, how about praying for refinement? That God would use that difficult situation to refine you, to conform you more to the image of Christ. That's exactly what God, how God used this challenging situation in Abigail's life. And so she was obedient uh, and content. Uh, she was also approachable and reasonable. Now we get to the heart of the story here in verse 4. Um, it says, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. Uh, shearing season was a, a festive occasion. It was a time of feasting. It was a time of celebration. And so David, verse 5, sent 10 men, 10 young men, and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name, and thus you will say, have a long life. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Now I've heard that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son, David. So while David and his men were lying low in the wilderness, hiding out from, from Saul, they took it upon themselves to protect Nabal's herdsmen and flock. And, uh, and now David was in need of provision to sustain he and his men in the wilderness. There were 600, as we'll see in a moment. Now, that's a lot of mouths to feed. And so um, they could have easily helped themselves to Nabal's flock and taken whatever they wanted, whatever they needed. And yet instead, he sent his men to ask Nabal for a gift in return for the protection that he had provided for his herdsmen and his flock. This was, this was not some mafia-style racket where David promised to protect his stuff if he would, you know, for payment. This was, this was simply calling in a favor. This, this was not a demand. It was a humble request by David who, who told his men to, to politely greet Nabal and inquire about his well-being and welfare and wish him peace and prosperity. And, and basically, he didn't ask for anything. That, hey, whatever your hand finds, you know, whatever, they, whatever you got lying around, I don't, need it. I don't need the best. I just whatever you got lying around, any leftovers you have, we'd love to have. And, and notice he, he refers, David refers to himself as his son. So he's coming very humbly and, 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 and very submissively. And according to Near Eastern custom and uh, Old Testament law regarding hospitality, because Nabal was fully capable of, of providing for David and his men, he was under obligation to do so. And yet Nabal rudely and selfishly responded to David's appeal for assistance. He just, he just basically blew him off. Notice verse 9. When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name. Then, then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David 
And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to the men whose origin I do not know? So here's Nabal acting as if he had never heard of David before, which is doubtful since by that time David's fame was widespread. Nabal was probably loyal to Saul. He wasn't about to share his hard-earned produce to aid and abet a man considered to be a rebel, an outlaw. And so instead he hurled insults at David's men and told him, just get out of here, get lost. (laughs) Who's David? Why should I help him? Verse 12, so David's young men retraced their way and went back and they came and told him according to all these words. And David said to his men, each of you gird on his sword. By the way, them are fighting words right there. Gird on your sword. So each man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword, and about 400 men went up behind David while 200 stayed with the baggage. Nabal had no idea. He just kicked a sleeping dog, right? Uh, He just knocked a hornet's nest out of a tree, and uh, David was infuriated when his men told him how Nabal had responded. And his first impulse was to to strap on a sword and go kill Nabal and his his entire household. And so rather than trusting God and and, and asking God to provide for his men, uh, David took personal offense at being rebuffed by, by Nabal. And he may have thought, man, if it wasn't for, for me, he wouldn't have sheep to slaughter because all the thieves would have come and taken him away. And I, the fact that he's slaughtering his, or, or, or shearing his sheep um, is really uh, due to my care and protection. And so, again, here we see a man after God's own heart allowing his anger to get the best of him, and he wanted revenge. He wanted revenge. Warren Wiersbe says it well. He said, David was a godly man and a gifted leader, but the best of men are men at best. I'm sure you can attest to that, that maybe you've been walking with the Lord for, for years and, and hopefully growing in godliness and being more conformed to the image of Christ, but there are moments when you're not at your best. And this was a moment where David was not at his best. And he wanted, to, he wanted his pound of flesh. Verse 14, But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men are, were very good to us, and we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day. All the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you should do, for evil is plotted against our master and against all his household, and he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. And so here's one of the herdsmen who had overheard the conversation between their their master and David's men, and they, 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 he rushed off to, to inform Abigail of the dire situation that Nabal had put all of them in. All of their lives were at risk because of his foolishness. And this young man verified 
to Abigail how David's men had indeed provided this impenetrable protection for them and their flocks, like a fortress wall around a city. And, and uh, while they couldn't speak to Nabal, they knew that they would have a welcome reception with her. Because unlike her husband, she was, she was approachable. She was reasonable. And so this shepherd had uh, every confidence going to her that, that he would be well received. And so she was approachable. She was reasonable. He knew he could reason with her, unlike her husband. And thirdly, she was also, as we'll see, generous and hospitable. She was generous and hospitable. Look at how she responds in verse 18. Then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. So as soon as Abigail learned of her family's precarious predicament, she knew that her family was at risk. So she wasted no time in, in gathering more than enough food and wine to feed David and his men. And, and she didn't just provide the basic necessities, she also provided them some special treats. That was the, the raisin and the figs. And so, again, we see the contrast between her and her, her husband's stinginess. She was, she was over the top with her generosity and her hospitality. And so she was generous, she was hospitable, she was also wise and discerning. Look at verse 19. She said to her young men, go on before me, behold, I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So here Abigail wisely intervened on behalf of her husband without him ever knowing. And she showed great discernment by not including or even informing her husband of what she was about to attempt to save their lives. Because obviously he wouldn't have gone along with it. Um, she was also smart to send the supplies ahead of her, um, just like Jacob did during that uncertain reunion with um, Esau. Remember that? He wasn't sure how Esau was going to respond to uh, him coming back into town. After all these years, he had stolen his birthright, and so uh, Jacob had sent all the gifts up on ahead and send all the flocks and everything we're going to give him. Let's, let's see how he does. Let's kind of soften him up and let's see how he's doing. By the time he gets to us, we'll have time to run away if he doesn't accept these gifts, right? So she was wise in, in, in sending these gifts ahead uh, to kind of soften, uh, soften up David's heart. She was also confident and courageous. Notice verse 20. It came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain, that behold, David and his men were coming down toward her, so she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain I've guarded all that this man has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. May God do so to the enemies of David, and more also if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belonged to him. I mean, David was hot, and uh, Abigail could only imagine how, how hacked off he must have been, and she knew that she was putting her life at risk by trying to head him off on his way to kill her husband, and yet she courageously approached David with the confidence that she had likely gained over the years, having to lovingly confront her own wicked husband. It takes a lot of courage. 
when you're married to a guy who doesn't listen, who doesn't take correction well, and yet your, wife, your role as a wife is to be his helpmate and to lovingly and respectfully point out his sin. And, 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 and that's, that takes confidence. That takes courage. And she had that confidence and courage. Notice she was also humble and respectful. She was humble and respectful. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the blame. She took, the, she took all, all on her. And please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. So when Abigail met David, she quickly gets off her donkey. She bows down before him. She begs him to listen to her. She humbly assumes all guilt for what had transpired and asks him to forgive her. Because if, if she had known about the men that David had, had sent, she would have gladly offered them whatever they needed and more. So not only was she respectful to David and the way he, she approached him, but she was also, notice, respectful to her husband. Even though he didn't deserve her respect. Notice she didn't, she didn't say, well, you know, I apologize for my husband. He's an idiot. I'm sorry about my husband. He's, he's just a real jerk. She simply said, you know, my husband, he lives up to his name. And we all know what his name means. <laughs> Worthless. Foolish. I, mean, I don't know about you. I can't think of a, a more respectful, tactful way of sharing the truth about her husband's character. In other words, she didn't just throw him under the bus, which she could have very easily done. I mean, if there was ever a wife who, who could have felt justified in talking bad about her husband and slandering him in the presence of others, it was Abigail. She had all sorts of things she could have shared, all sorts of stories. You won't believe what he did last night, right? She's at, out with her girls at, girlfriends at Starbucks, right? Oh, you, you wouldn't believe what he did last night. He is such a, you know... No, she was careful to always honor him by how she talked about him. That's one of the things I'm most grateful for, uh, the wife and mother that God blessed me with, and Kelly. And I've told her this over the years. I'm so thankful that, as far as I know, uh, she has never thrown me under the bus with anybody. Uh, and, and trust me, there, there's times when I've not been the nicest guy to, to live with. And uh, our joke is, you know, maybe we'll kind of get sideways with one another, have a discussion, right? And, uh, and she's got a, an appointment scheduled with a, a, another gal in the church, and they go out to eat or go to Starbucks or something, and she comes back home, and I said, so did you tell him what a big jerk I was? And she just kind of smiles. She'd be, No. <laughs> I, I praise God for that. That's a, that's a gift from the Lord. 
to have a wife who, who, who is respectful and she's, she, she honors uh, her husband even when he may not deserve it. But that was Abigail. Now, some might say, well, wait a minute, time out, Ken. She wasn't honoring him because he, she, she, she went behind his back and really undermined his authority. Well, first of all, her actions were commended by David. David commended her for it. And they ultimately saved her husband's life. I think that was a good thing. Um, I think more importantly, the Bible teaches us that whenever someone's authority fails, they're not stuck. They have the right to respectfully appeal to a higher authority. Someone above their immediate authority. So if a soldier's having a hard time with his commanding officer, he can always respectfully appeal to a, to a higher officer. Or, you know, if a, if, a, if a wife is having difficulty with her husband, she can always appeal to a higher authority, maybe the, the, the elders or pastors of their church. Furthermore, unlike her, her husband who failed to honor David as the rightful heir to the throne, Abigail respected David as the man that God ordained to be king. And so by coming to him, she was in essence choosing to obey God rather than man. Acts chapter 5 verse 29. There comes times and situations where you have to say, you know what, I can't do that. I can't follow that. I can't obey that leadership because it's, it's basically telling me to sin. I'm going to obey God rather than man. And so I think this is an example in the Old Testament of someone who was, was seeking to obey God rather than men. And that brings us to the seventh quality of a, a winsome woman. She was God-focused and kingdom-minded. She was God-focused and kingdom-minded. Look at verse 26. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord." Almost, that, that almost wasn't true, right? And evil will not be found in you all your days. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and, be, and to seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, but the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. I think that is a reference to David killing Goliath. And when the Lord does for my Lord, According to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Do you see the tremendous insight that Abigail had into God's ways and into God's plans? She understood that we should never pay back evil for evil to anyone. But if possible, as far as it depends on us, we're to be at peace with all men. That's what it says in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. 
Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's essentially what she was counseling him to do. She was reminding him to not take revenge on his enemies, but to leave room for God's vengeance. She was also encouraging him to do what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled or insulted, he did not revile or insult in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And so she was encouraging him just to entrust yourself to him who judges righteously, especially in light of the fact that you are the Lord's anointed. God's blessing is on your life. Why wouldn't you think he would take care of you? And so Abigail had real insight into who David was, what what he had done, slaying Goliath with a sling, what was in store for him, this enduring house that she refers to. She was convinced that God was using her to restrain him from committing a terrible sin that he would have regretted later. And that could have potentially damaged his character and, and jeopardized his future career as king. I mean, this is just the kind of act that would have maybe disqualified him, and God would have said, you know what? I've got to find somebody else now, just like he had to with, with Saul. And so if David had succeeded in shedding the blood of Nabal and, and his family, he would, have, he would have proven that he was no different than Saul, that he was fighting his own battles rather than the Lord's battles. One commentator described Abigail in this way. Abigail raised David's eyes from his hurt pride and set them on the glorious panorama of God's loving purposes for his life. And what a great example of a woman helping her husband get his eyes off himself and his situation and back on God and his glory. I don't know, guys, you ever get your pride hurt? Do you ever need somebody to help you get your focus back? Oftentimes it's our wives that God uses to do that. And number eight, she was a pacifier and peacemaker. She was a pacifier and a peacemaker. Notice verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed Blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would have not been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. We'll stop there. Here's David just so grateful 
for her discernment, her di- diplomacy, and he's thanking her here profusely for pacifying his anger and, and keeping him from destroying Nabal and, and worse, destroying his own conscience and possibly his career. And so here, Abigail not only kept her husband from getting killed, at the same time, she, she kept another man who was soon to be her husband from getting revenge. And so here's a model, ladies, of the important role that you play as your husband's helpmate. And men, we would do well to listen to our wives. Because it may be that the Lord uses them to keep us from doing something stupid. Something that will come back to bite us, making some impulsive decision that we'll regret someday. And if that's the case, then we also need to be sure to thank our wives, even as he was thanking her for their wise counsel, for their helpful input, and including that, thanking God for giving you a a wise helpmate. Notice she continues to model this pacifier, peacemaker characteristic. Verse 36, and Abigail came to Nabal And behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him so that he became as a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. I mean, just the the irony of this, right? Here she was putting her own life at risk to save his worthless life. And she comes back and what is he doing? He's drunk. And, and, And didn't have a clue. Just completely oblivious as he's making, and once again, he's making a fool of himself again. Gorging himself on food and wine and has no idea how close He had actually come to dying that day, were it not for the heroic intervention of his quick-thinking wife. And again, she had the the wits about her to not tell him what had happened at that moment. A good reminder that timing is everything, ladies, right? You may have something that's burdening your heart that you really feel you've been praying about and you really want to tell your husband and and, and you just really want to blurt it out, but timing is everything. And so she knew he wouldn't understand or, or remember anything that she said in his inebriated state, or maybe he would have flo- flown off the handle and, and made even more of a fool of himself, and so she waited until he sobered up to fill him in on what happened. And again, she did everything she could to pacify him and be at peace with him, and so she waited till the next morning, and she shared with him how if it weren't for her, he would have been a dead man. He wouldn't have lived through the night. And when he found out, he was either so livid or shocked, we don't know, but it appears that he had some sort of stroke or a heart attack that left him paralyzed and incapacitated for for 10 days. And, And then God just killed him. God just took his life. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. 
both Abigail and David had left Nabal alone for God to deal with, and God dealt with him in his way and in his time. Years ago, I was counseling a a dear woman who was in a very difficult marriage. Her husband was consistently getting drunk and abusing her verbally and even at points physically. And we counseled her for her own protection to get out of that house and to get in a safe place and stay there until he repented, until he changed. And it was safe again to go back into that uh, situation. And of course, in the meantime, uh, things just got worse and worse. And she was asking us, what, what, what should I do? I mean, it's, do, I, I, I have grounds for divorce. And, and, um, and, and we just said, you know what? Uh, this is my counselor. I said, Let, let's, just, let's just wait. Let's just trust the Lord and see what happens. You're safe. You're not in harm's way. Let's, let's give God time to work. And, and I even was as bold one time to tell her, you know what? Your husband's consistently getting drunk. He's consistently driving home. Maybe God will take him out one night and he'll wrap himself around a tree. We wouldn't want that to happen, but maybe that would be God's way. And instead of you taking action to end this marriage, maybe the Lord will. And um, it was hard times. And um, eventually we did agree with her that she had grounds for divorce and told her that we would, she would have our blessing, if you will, to do that if she felt that was the best thing for her to do in her situation. But I think this is so profound, as we're going to see as this story wraps up. God not only vindicated David, but he also vindicated Abigail. And ironically, he rewarded both of their obedience with a wedding. This is the Cinderella story, part of it. Notice, lastly, how submissive and sacrificial Abigail was. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who, was pleased, uh, who, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David has sent us to you to take you as his wife. She arose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maidservant is a maid to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. I'm not even worthy to wash his feet. I I can wash the feet of his servants, let alone be his wife. Then Abigail quickly arose and rode on a donkey with her five maidens who attended her And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. So here's David. He receives the the news of Nabal's death. He rejoices. He praises God. And then he does the next honorable thing, which is to propose to this widow. Obviously, he had been struck by her beauty, her intelligence. Um, Through their brief encounter, 
She had proven herself to, to be the kind of woman who would make a great queen. And yet Abigail was very humble. She was very submissive in her response to his proposal, even though she felt completely unworthy to do anything but wash the feet of his, the future king's servants. Um, and yet she, she came along. She was, she was willing to sacrifice her comfortable life in, in Carmel. I mean, she could have lived off the wealth of her late husband. I'm sure there was a great life insurance policy she would have cashed in, right? She could have been well off for the rest of her life. And yet she chose instead to become a fugitive's wife, constantly on the run in the wilderness alongside David. It's kind of hard to decorate when you're running around the wilderness, right? But uh, she was willing to, to do that. Well, how's that for a Cinderella-like ending, right? Well, I wish I could promise all of you who are here today, you feel trapped in a difficult marriage, that, that everything's going to turn out just like it did with Abigail. God's going to kill your ungodly husband and provide you a, a godly husband, a man after God's own heart, right, to be your new, your new husband. Well, that may not be what God has ordained for your life. And sometimes God delivers us from a difficult situation. He does. Sometimes he does. He delivers us. He chooses to deliver us. Other times he, he grants us the grace to endure it. He grants us the grace to endure it. And while you wait upon the Lord, let me encourage you just to do a few things based on 1 Samuel 25. First of all, joyfully endure your situation knowing that God is using it to develop Abigail-like character in you. Secondly, prayerfully ask God to give you Abigail-like wisdom. Lord, I need wisdom to know how to live with this guy to deal with the situation. Thirdly, with Abigail-like humility, confess to God any bitterness or, or anger or malice that you may be harboring in your heart against your husband and, and pray that God would change your husband's heart. And then lastly, just diligently strive to be a submissive helper, an effective peacemaker like, like Abigail who really embodies uh, 1 Peter 3, Verses 1 and 2, right? Where it says, if wives be submissive to your husbands, that even if uh, they're disobedient to the word, that, that was Nabal, uh, you may win them over without a word by your, your respectful and, and submissive behavior. Men, I would say this. If you have a wife like this, kids, if you have a, a mother who reflects these qualities of a winsome woman, and, and she's worthy of honor, not just today, but every day. But today is Mother's Day, and so I would encourage you to take some time to encourage your wives, encourage your mothers by just maybe sharing with them today how, as you were hearing this story from 1 Samuel 25, how, how you were reminded of them. Point out ways that evidences of grace in their lives where they, they have things in common with Abigail. And if they don't have anything in common with Abigail, honor them anyway. Honor them anyway. And pray that God would make them 
more like Abigail. And guys, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Whether it's Nabal and his foolishness, or even David as a man after God's own heart, almost gave in the temptation to get even. Don't be that guy. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word and just these Old Testament stories that you preserved here for us to um, give us help and give us hope. Uh, this just reads like our life in so many ways. Just forget about the robes and the sandals and the donkeys and the the swords, um, we totally see ourselves in this story. And we're thankful, ultimately, that, that Christ is the one who came, the King of kings, the true King of kings and Lord of lords, to deliver us from the cruel and tyrannical leadership of Satan and to allow us to escape from bondage to sin Thank you for the rescue that we've received through our salvation, through his death on the cross. And I pray that today we would honor you by honoring the women in our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.